This is a Salto Media Original Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Galway Podcast. This is Fender Jackson. It's been a while since I've published an episode. I took a holiday. I needed that. And I've been re-recording music that you'll hear in the podcast. That takes time. And I've been interviewing people, not for the podcast, well, I've been interviewing people for the podcast they're about to be edited, but also my main job is actually interviewing older people about their life stories as a present for future generations and family and friends. I seem to be the only person in Ireland and the UK who does this as a living. So if you're interested in finding out more, go to salthillmedia.com. I've been doing this for a long time. I recorded my mother and my father about their life stories back in 2006. My mother's since passed on and I'm delighted to have that interview now that she's sadly no longer with us. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by sharing it with your friends, subscribing or following or whatever that verb is that they use, rating it, say it's 500 out of five, whatever. Yeah, just give it a good rating. And tell people about my life recording interview service because that's really how I earn my money. And I've got two kids to feed and all that stuff. Okay, enough talking, band, wrap it up. This is the Galway Podcast. Hello, who are you and what do you do? Hello, Fender. My name is Thomas Hütter. I'm originally from Germany and um, I'm a biologist, immunologist, I call myself. I studied in Germany uh, and then I did my PhD uh, at Erlangen, in Erlangen University, Friedrich Alexander University in Germany. And then I moved to France to do my postdoctoral education. And then from there, I moved to Berlin um, at the Charité Hospital Berlin. And then I, there I studied um, immunology, transplantation. That's my background. And from there, I moved to Ireland to go over in 2005. And I'm ever here since. What made you move to Galway? Uh, the job. Yeah, so they, there was a science foundation in Ireland, a research center funded on regenerative medicine here, and uh, they were looking for additional staff members, you know, to help their, in, in their project. And so this fitted my, my CV perfectly, you know, uh, in, and they were looking for somebody who has expertise in immunology, transplantation, cell therapy. And so I applied for the job and... They offered me the post. I didn't expect it, to be honest. Yeah, So to come here to Ireland, I never had the, the plan to move to Ireland. But uh, this is how life works, I suppose. Uh, it, it interests me that, you know, people end up in these positions. Were you looking in Ireland for a job? Or were you looking for the job and then it just happened to be in Ireland? Yes, exactly. Uh, the, the latter. Yeah. Uh, so I was looking for jobs, particularly in Germany, first, first and foremost. But uh, at the time, the situation was very difficult. So many jobs applying, many people applying for the same jobs at the same time. And then this opportunity arose here in Ireland. So, and I, I took it. Uh, so I'm very happy out here. And yeah, how, how do you feel about, about Ireland living here? 
Oh, it's Galway is a great place. Uh, the Irish are very good and very friendly, so it's and you can work here very well. So it's a good environment. So I like it to be here. Mm-hmm. Apart from the weather, sometimes as you can, everybody understands. Yeah, I always say the sunshine is inside the people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Tell me about your work that you're doing. Okay, so um, so when I was at the SHIT in Berlin, so I, I developed an interest in, in eye research because I was meeting an ophthalmologist at the SHIT hospital and uh, he made me interest in the cornea. So that's the outer part of the eye. Uh, and so, and then I, this I'm working since then in this area. So I, when I when I moved to Gova, I brought my research with me and this research area. So I established my research uh, program here in at the University of Gova at the time, National University of Ireland. And uh, yeah, I'm working since then ever since in this work. So we are trying to develop new therapies um, to modulate ocular inflammation injuries. So that's what we do, because uh, for um, Injury or inflammation of the eye, there's no good treatments available at the moment for patients. So it's rather unspecific uh, inhibition of inflammation drugs. So uh, we are trying to develop here more specific, more targeted therapies that we can modulate uh, inflammation and injury mm-hmm. more effectively. And you're targeting seven main areas of concern. Yes, in this project. So we came together. So this is a kind of a longer story, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been part of an um, of an European network, uh, which is called um, Cost Action. So Cost stands for uh, European Cooperation in Science and Technology, and this is a mechanism by by the European Commission uh, to bring in people together. Um, it's not there's no money in funding involved, but it's just to meet people. To travel and to to come together to talk about issues, projects, what can be done to uh, in specific disease conditions, whatever. This cost action exists for almost everything, uh, every research uh, avenue. And so I met a few very interesting people in this cost action meeting, and so we came together and looked what can we can we do? Can we write a bigger proposal where there's also funding involved, where we can really do something in a lab? And uh, so this was a long process. I think this was since 2016 or 17 when we started this. And so we have been submitting projects before unsuccessfully. And then this opportunity arose, in, I think, in 2021. And we submitted a project which is called uh, Restore Vision. Um, and uh, luckily for us, the European Union or Commission seemed to like it. And so uh, we were approved for funding in December 2022. Um, but again, this is a long process, so and um, it takes. It doesn't happen overnight. These projects, uh, mm-hmm. so because we have to have partners in across Europe, uh, in industry, in clinicians, um, and to bring all this together, and very importantly, also a patient organization. So the funding is coming from a European Union. The funding is coming from European Commission, exactly. Yeah. So it's an eight million project. Uh-huh. Um, the European Union have these specific calls. This. Funding mechanism somewhat uh, very funny. So you have to have a. They give out specific calls. Uh, they um, announce specific calls, and then you can, if you believe you fit, you can apply for this. And this call was under to develop new uh, therapy for rare disease. This was a topic call. Okay, mm-hmm. 
And so we looked, we came together, our consortium, we've been working before together, and we looked at this and said, okay, we have all the ingredients we could we could apply for this. So so we pulled in a few more people uh, in the in the consortium and then um, we put this proposal together and uh, yeah, and then it goes through different stages. It was a two-stage process. Um, you have to be approved for stage one to to write a full proposal, basically. Yeah. So and this is how it how it works. Uh, and we have also involved um, project management uh, consultancy who helped us a lot in putting this um, project together. Mm. Because as scientists, you know, we only want to talk about science, but there's a lot more involved in submitting such a proposal. Uh, so and they helped us a lot with that. I told you off mic that I used to work for PwC and something that used to bubble up from time to time was duplication of effort. So is there other organizations in Europe that is doing work similar to yours that you can share that information or even worse, it's, it's the same, it's the same research. Um, well, there are certainly groups in Europe, uh, research groups who would, Doing similar things, but this consortium as as a whole is, is certainly unique. I don't think there's any other place in Europe where we have these um, people who with this expertise in this consortium and this amount of, of of drugs which we are using. So I think from this point of view, it's it's pretty unique. I would say. Yeah, so um, I can't think of any other group in Europe. And is there other groups in other parts of the world? Um, maybe. Um, but you see, you know, uh, many people in particular, you know, companies, they are not so interested in for rare disease, you know, because companies, they only want to sell drugs for many people. Yeah, so um, that's not so of their interest. Um, but the idea of this project is to repurpose drugs which, which have been used for other diseases already and then to apply this in these uh, rare diseases. So just going Back to the concept of maybe other organizations around the world. Mm. Do you do you share information with them if, if they do exist and do you share findings? Yes, of course. Yeah. So everything is open, of course. Mm. Um, that's one of the what the European Union wants, uh, European Commission wants is open uh, publishing. Yeah. Mm. So everything will be open. With of course, some of the aspects have to be confidential yeah, because uh, there will be also. Um, you know, companies involved and IP protected and so on. But we can we will be as open as we can. Yeah. And interestingly, while well, you mentioned that I, you know, a few weeks ago when the university announced this uh, project, that the funding of this project, there was a small article in the Connacht Tribune. And a week later, somebody from the US uh, sent me an email from a foundation for one of the diseases we are targeting. And so they want to to meet with us and to collaborate with us. So that's quite interesting. So we have already kind of a link established to the US um, to see, and we are currently exploring how we can, you know, collaborate and cooperate. You mentioned there that the European Union are funding this and they're looking to repurpose the drugs that are available. Yeah. Is there other motivation for them? Why do you think they're getting so involved in putting so much money into this? Yeah, I think because it's uh, they want to, it's for, you know, they want to support patients suffering from rare disease. I think, you know, mm. that's because it's unfair that, uh, you know, drugs are, as I said earlier, drugs are usually developed for larger populations where the, you know, industry can make money from. Yeah. So you're, you're identifying this as a, 
as a good example of where the, where the European Union are trying to make the lives of some people yes. better. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's not so rare. I mean, it's, it's called a rare disease, but if you look at the numbers... I was going to ask you, what are the numbers? Yes, so the numbers are... Uh, so, we are so we made the numbers up. So we believe there's about 500,000 people could suffer from these um, rare, rare ocular diseases we are targeting. Uh, in, so in Europe? In, in Europe, yes. Yeah, yeah. In Europe alone, yeah. So, and... Um, and some of the drugs we are developing are quite specific, so quite specific for these diseases, but some of them would be of a broader availability. So whatever comes out of this project can not only be maybe applied then for patients suffering from these rare diseases, but also to other patients. Yeah. And do you want to talk about the diseases now? Yeah. So, yeah, as I said, so this was one of the um, requirements from the, in, in the call document for this, um, they said, uh, we want to have a group of diseases, not only one specific disease, one rare disease, but it has to be a, a, a group of diseases. Yeah. So, and we looked at the and the clinicians in our consortium. They looked at the patient uh, population, what they what they treating in the ophthalmology centers, and so we came up with a with a group of seven um, rare diseases um, of the ocular surface. And uh, I can read it out if you want. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah please do. So uh, one of them, uh, so is, is aneuridia associated keratopathy, or, or also called AAK. We have ocular theatrical pemphiguit. We have, the next one is really difficult, ectrodactylil ectodermal dysplasia clefting syndrome, or EEC. I'm going to pause you there because it, it is, it's just going to be a big yes. list, a big list yeah. of Latin. So um, can you, as you go through it, Please tell me what's the main components of those diseases. Yes, so exactly. So they have a common denominator. So yeah, yeah, there's yeah. aberrant inflammation. So the first one, AAK? Yes, yeah. so that's a genetically inherited disease. Yeah. So, okay, and so that's nothing to do with trauma. That's to do with genetics. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay. and aneuridia is called, uh, they have no iris, these wow. patients. Yeah, so, um, so it's possible for someone to have no iris to have children and then those children have no iris. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they would have been given the um, the modified allele, I suppose, um, mm. to the children. Yeah. Yeah. And so your your drug for that there is to get the children to form an iris, or how does that work? No, no, it's um, that's not possible. Yeah. Okay. So, but uh, we, the drugs we uh, because this uh, this anirida is also um, inflammation, aberrant inflammation. So all the drugs we are we are developing in our consortium, both the novel drugs and the repurposed drugs, kind of dealing with uh, inflammation, modification of inflammation on on various levels. Yeah. So because this is a, a common denominator of all these diseases we are targeted uh, targeting inflammation, vessel ingrowth, um, um, and uh, stem cell dysfunction. For to, to, to name a few. Yeah. Okay. Because the one thing, for example, for the cornea, it needs to be clear, uh, clear that the light can go through. And when the cornea is damaged and scarred, the light cannot go through properly and then vision is impaired. Yeah. Yeah. And the patients we are targeting somewhat have um, issues in this regard. Yeah. yeah. So let's go through them. The second, the second disease yeah, is, so, uh, is called water again? So again, so I'm not a clinician, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I can't give you too much details. But okay. um, so for for... Um, first of all, again, say back to aneridia. So it's a genetic progressive limber stem cell degeneration leading to corneal neovascularization inflammation 
and so on. So it's got to do with the light not going through the cornea. Um, yes, it's mostly a disease of limbal stem cells because the genetic defect affects the limbal stem cells. These are the stem cells who make this part of the cells of the eye. Mm. And when there's a defect, then these cells cannot be generated properly. And then this leads to all sorts of, uh, of problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. A third one? The other one, the... Uh, the pemphigoid is, uh, again, it's an autoimmune scaring of the conjunctiva uh, leading to deficient wound healing, inflammation, scarring, and can be blindness and pain as well. Yeah. So this could be trauma as opposed to genetics? Uh, is it autoimmune? It's genetic. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have um, like other diseases like ocular graft versus host disease, for example, is another one of these uh, uh, diseases that's also a rare disease and this can happen for example following um, bone marrow transplantation for patients who are suffering from from cancer mm. so um, they when they uh, have to get um, irradiated you know to in order to to kill the cancer cells yeah so they need a stem cell transplant to reconstitute the bone marrow right and these cells originating from this they can attack your own Tissues then, because it's from an allogenic donor, from a non-relevant, a non-relative donor. Yeah, uh-huh. this is called what we call um, graft versus host disease. Yeah, yeah. And this can have also severe. Uh, this has severe consequences for the patient. Can other or- affect other organs, mostly the liver, but also, and which is much less known, uh, um, also uh, uh, attack the cornea. So you're. It sounds like you're implanting. Um stem cells from other people to counterbalance a lot of work that you're trying to offset originally from the cancer you know it's, it's yes you 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 try to offset a cancer but this creates a lot of additional um, issues for the patients yeah yes exactly. and, and you combat it by it's almost like a war zone of, of, Im, of yes. implanted cells yes wow yes. wow if you want to say it like that yes yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but you know the patient would be dying otherwise from cancer, I suppose. So that's the apparently only option. But then you have to deal uh, with the uh, consequences what you generate. Uh, yeah. Do you miss a loved one that's passed on? Perhaps you miss their voice or their mannerisms. Perhaps you have questions that remain unanswered. Don't let that happen to your children or grandchildren. At Salt Hill Media, we can record your life story or that of a loved one for future generations. So when someone asks, hey, what was granny like? Or what was granddad like? You can point them to an interview and say, you tell me. We can tailor an interview to be as long or as short as you want it to be. All with professional recording equipment and post-production. You may think that your life is not worth documenting. Well, not according to your children or grandchildren. Record that life story before it's too late. Email salthillmedia at gmail.com or go to salthillmedia.com for more information. This is the Galway Podcast. Okay, continue on. This is. And yeah, so on, uh, another one of these diseases is what we call limb cell, limbal stem cell deficiency. We, we, we touched already on that. Uh-huh. It's the. In the limbus, this is on the outer part of the cornea. These these cells they generate the epithelial cells. That's the outermost layer of the of the cornea, and these cells are very difficult. Uh, they're sensitive, and when there's an injury, for example, you know, for example, you 
you burn your eye with, with acid or with alkali, then these cells, they get easily destroyed. And when these cells are damaged or destroyed, then uh, the epithelium cannot form properly. And then, um, because it's so important that there is always the epithelium covered, the eye is always covered with cells. Yeah? And if these cells do not grow well, then other cells from other parts of the eye who are not epithelial cells can overtake or yeah. take over this. And then this leads to problems uh, in, in vision scarring and this is not what, uh, what you want. So um, these drugs also help to reconstitute um, the limber stem cells somewhat. Yeah? So the function so, of these limber stem cells. So if I'm pouring, and this has happened to me recently, I'm pouring bleach into a, a bottle of water and then there's a bit of a splashback and then something yeah. goes into my eye. Yes. That would have destroyed some of the cells, I assume, on my eyeball. Yes. Yeah? But usually they are very... Um, this will be a re very rapidly cleared, I suppose, but only if the damage is severe. I suppose. So yeah. it, it was just a, a mild form of the gut. The cells just grow back normally. Yeah. 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 But if there's a genetic defect, for example, and um, some of these patients have a genetic defect in their limbal stem cells, then they cannot grow um, properly and and reconstitute uh, what what their job is supposed to do. Yeah. yeah. You can. You can transplant from the other eye, from, for example, in some patients that's possible from the non-transplant, from the non-affected eye, yeah. these limbal stem cells. But this is uh, risky yeah. because you can, you damage the other eye basically, you know, you, you, take, you make an incision, you take out the cells so uh, and transplant it on the other eye. But uh -huh. this can lead, to, lead also to problems. So this is not a, a good way, I think, you know, so that's why we, that's why we are here, as opposed to develop new therapies, you know. So let's go back to the list. Have we covered everything off? Uh, yes. One final thing, uh, maybe we can also we target neurotrophic keratopathy or NK. This is another uh, disease, and because many people wouldn't know that the cornea is is the most highly innervated uh, organ um, or tissue. It's not an organ, a tissue of the body. So there's lo lots of nerves. So when there's damage, and this is no, usually that's not uh, genetically inherited, but if there's, if you damage your eye by alkali or by sports injury or whatever, then you also damage the nerves, you know? So, and the nerves are very important also to support the epithelium, the regrowth of the epithelium. So therefore also we have uh, some of the drugs and this also involves inflammation targeting also how we can regenerate um, these neurons, uh, neuronal cells uh, or nerve cells. Mm. Um, so it's, it's very, it's complex, but mm. it's, um, it's very interesting. But as I said, you know, we have the drugs we, we, are, we are developing and repurposing. They have the, all the common features in place in, in modulate inflammation and uh, regeneration and support regeneration. I think that's probably in a nutshell how you could describe them so there's seven rare eye diseases here yes. and how did how did you arrive to these seven was it just by looking at the output of the problems that are being published across the different hospitals and um, you just identified the top seven and uh, also how many other diseases are there available that uh, that are not being covered in yeah. your research so let me answer your first point, you know, yes. So this is, you know, what the ophthalmologists, you know, who we have in our uh, consortium identified this. So they see in these patients, you know, every day in their clinics. So we came up with this list of um, of diseases, but there's many more. 
rare diseases we have not included uh, in in this project because it would be uh, too much, I suppose. You know? um, so there's, as I said earlier, there's lots of patients who are suffering from rare disease. So if um, if you count this up, the numbers, so it's it's, it's a very significant number of people who uh, patients are suffering from this. You know? mm-hmm. And you can do them all obviously so you've got to target the, the ones that are going to give you the best yes return yeah. yes but we are hoping you know some of these might not be included here but we are hoping that the you know the drugs we develop here in this consortium also may be of help also for for these patients mm. so so Galway has this very tight um connection with medical and medical engineering. It's funny, I, I've talked, I talk to students, you know, around the place and I, I say, you know, what do you do? And they say, oh, engineering. And then they say, is it, mm. is it uh, civil or is it mechanical or they say biological, you know, and it, it, that was always um, struck me as something that a gap in my understanding of, of uh, this industry and, and, and what Galway has to offer. My question is, why is there such a strong connection between Galway and biological engineering? Um, well, I'm not sure if I'm the right person to answer this question. Uh, What's your feeling? <laughs> well, you know, we have the, all these, so we have a very strong uh, engineering uh, department here in the University of Galway. And uh, also we have a um, Science Foundation Island funded uh, research center for medical devices. So, and then we have all these biomedical companies around here in Galway. Uh, so this this is probably the uh, is a melting pot, I suppose, you now for all the, um, these projects arising from here. Yeah, so um, that's what mm. I think. You know. So yeah. Um, well, yeah, you got the Boston Scientific and all the rest. I mean, big big organizations. Yes. So. Yes. So they, all these companies are, are around, surround here in in around in Galway, which uh, some people told me. I think Galway is the fourth biggest hub of um, of these um, biomedical engineering companies in the world. I think the first three are in the US, and the fourth biggest is here in around Galway. So, which is pretty amazing. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so, so um, there's lots of interaction, strong links between, you know, um, not only engineering companies and, and these, these companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you want to cover some other work that you, 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 you've got a website that's just been launched as well? Yes, very good. Yes, thanks for mentioning this. <laughs> yes, so this is all, you know, working process. We have just started our project, you know, yeah. so I can't give you any, uh, any details. Nobody has probably... Uh, started working on this project yet mm. uh, but so yes one of the first deliverables as you know so in this kind of project you have a lot of deliverables what you have to deliver uh, mm. to the European Communion and um, Union and that's one of this is, uh, is a website for example that we, and we have set up and it's called restorevision-project.eu so we can we can look it up uh, and and get the news and the latest news. Yeah. So we are using this website as a um, 
to outreach, I suppose, to people and then yeah. who are interested. And I looked at it and it's, it seems very comprehensive, very fluid. Also, there's a voiceover that comes on whenever um, the page loads. Yes. You know, I, I had to mute it because I uh, I get distracted whenever I, I'm reading and there's another voice. But, um, but it's great that it's there because a lot of your... Um, users will be uh, visually impaired, so yes. it's very important. Yeah, we will be populating this much more in the next few months, I suppose. You know, yeah, but there's, like, a, there's a lot on there already, though. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So they, the our our project management, they have done a great job with this, and then so they have also involved people, professional people who make these websites and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. graphic designers to make the logo for yeah. our. Uh, for our project, so I'm I'm very happy that they are involved in this project. So they're doing a great job. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so um, what's what's the plan then for the future? With with uh, in terms of you're saying you're at the start of the research. So what how's that going to look like in the coming months and years? Yes, so we have a, <clears throat> a this project is for four years. Yeah, so um, and we have a project plan, of course. So we. Um, Everybody starts gets worked on their on their individual uh, drugs and comp compounds, and then after fifteen or sixteen months, I think we have said we come together and we review the data what we have um, received so far, and based on that we will decide where uh, which drug goes into which clinical trial. So uh, we haven't made this clear from the very beginning. We just wanted to see uh, based on our. Uh, in vitro and preclinical experiments, what we have uh, received, we will make a decision which drugs will be tested first in in uh, on which patient population. So we don't know. So it's too, too early to see if even the the results are proving favorable for the, for the yes, patients. It's too early to say yeah. that. Yeah. So as uh, so we have just started. Uh, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna use the magic wand of time and uh, gonna wave it about here. So, uh, say we see some favorable results, then it goes into peer review and it goes into clinical testing. Uh, is that is that all the stages that I'm covering so far? Yes. Is that in chronological order? Yes. No. That's that's correct. So when we uh, when we believe we have enough data, um, preclinical and and in vitro data, we can go to the regulator to approve to apply for a clinical trial. And also this involves a lot of work and then uh, I have a lot of documents have to be put together. And then how long, how long will it be before uh, a drug is identified and, and then can be um, consumed safely? Yeah, well, um, usually we believe that in, uh, hopefully we have next year, in, at the end of next year, we have one of the drugs already in a clinical trial. And then usually this takes um, 12 months or so at least, you know, where we the drug will be applied and the patients will be monitored and hopefully we see efficacy. That's what you, of course, the first thing is the safety uh, of the drug. You know, so that's the most important thing. And that's the first objective. And the second objective is also that we see hopefully some effective uh, efficacy of mm. the drug. Wow. And uh, yeah, so this takes, um, this is what we call a phase one study. Yeah, And then, if it's proven successful, you can apply for a phase two study, for example. This involves so a phase one study basically involves nine to fifteen patients or so usually. Yeah. yeah. And if you pick um, the question, the, the issue is we are talking about rare disease, so there's not too many patients. Patients are out. But when you have successfully completed a phase one study, then you have to apply for a phase two study, which involves usually 40, 50 patients, maybe um, a bit more. 
And again, if this goes successfully, you can go to phase three trial, a phase C study, yeah. And this is then uh, a multi-center study, not only one center, but multiple centers where this um, will be performed. Yeah. And so whenever you're saying there's not, it's going to affect some, whenever you say that it affects very few patients comparatively for these drugs to be consumed, that implies to me that the cost is going to be quite severe for the end user. So is that is that something that you foresee happening or is there going to be a way around that and that the European Commission will... Well, um, some of the drugs are certainly expensive what we are developing, but some of the drugs, of the repurposed drugs, they are very cheap and they are already being used in, in clinical trials for other conditions. So to repurpose these drugs for ocular disease doesn't... I don't think this will be very expensive. Yeah, So um, there might be... I think there would be a positive way forward uh, using these drugs uh, if they are successful. Yeah? And um, of course, but you have to also see, you know, the long-term effect of the patients who are not being treated or unsuccessfully treated, you know, the, the care and um, what they need. Um, if you compare this to developing a new drug, then in the end, maybe a, a, a successful drug which you develop might be cheaper in the end, I suppose, you know, for the taxpayer if you want to say mm, that yeah, yeah, yeah like that and then also who would own the license of the drugs i don't know probably the consortium so the the universities usually you know when when we i develop something here and uh, i submit um an i an, a patent application so it's a university who owns the patent yeah? okay and then they can license it we can license it back to us i suppose and then we can so does that mean that there's that the University of Galway already has uh, patents on drugs that are out in the marketplace? Uh, not for this, but for others, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure, yeah. sure. You know, the, the University of Galway works actively with uh, other researchers who have developed um, patentable, I suppose, um, devices and, yeah. and drugs. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. No, that's, that's the model, how it works. Uh, and then... Uh, there's a distribution usually between the um, inventor, the university, uh, who owns the patent, basically, you know. They're almost like a publisher. It's like the author and the publisher, you know, so you got the... Yeah. Yeah, the, the scientist is the author and the publisher is the university. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. But I, in terms of... So I, I licenses, I would say the, the, the university where the, the investigator is based, you know, and um, is, owns the owns the track. Uh -huh. So it's not us as a consortium. So it's the individual um, investigator and their their university. Maybe you should have said this beginning. So this is a project which spans across Europe. Um, it starting from Sweden, Norway, Sweden, goes down to Spain and Italy. So we have investigators and clinical centers in all these countries, in Denmark as well, and the Netherlands and France. Um, so we have... Uh, um, we are a consortium of six uh, academic institutions and three small SMEs, or small medium-sized enterprises, and one uh, project management organization. So, um, yes, so we all come together and uh, for this project, which is great. So they're sharing the the data in terms of um, the the trials and so on. Yeah, sure. We, we, within the consortium, of course, we share the data. Yes, mm. yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And also very importantly, I'm not sure if I've said this before, we have involved also the patient organization for, and they're called Aneridia Europe. And usually patient organizations are arising from parents suffering where they have children suffering from this disease. So um, this is a very important uh, addition inclusion for our project. What's it have. called? Aneridia? Aneridia Europe. Yes. Yeah. Aneridia Europe. I'll put a link in there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they... They are very good and they are very active um, uh, in the field. And so this is important voice, you know, patient voice for us, you know, to, mm -hmm. to be considered. Whenever I'm doing an interview, I'm always thinking from the mindset of a parent with mm. a child. Yes. I guess a lot of these eye diseases are always going to come up during a, a, a regular eye test. Is that the, the process? Uh, usually, yes, but uh, maybe probably... Uh, Some of these genetic diseases, you know, they can be identified very early, I suppose. You know. Okay, yeah. so yeah, because if it's genetic and the parents have it, it's very quickly to even yes. assume that these are going to yeah. be passed on. But some of them are more difficult to identify, yeah. uh, I think. But And some of the acquired like injury or so, you know, this can happen uh, at any time, I suppose, uh, yeah. in life. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about my father's uncle, who is um, he's a blind farmer. And um, he, he used to send my father up to collect the sheep uh, because he had trouble seeing them, you know. And then um, my father was talking to him about getting his eye, you know, looked at. Mm. But this is going back 60 years, I okay. guess, you know. And mm -hmm. um, and the guy explained to my father that um, it's almost like trying to sew a patch onto uh, a hole in a jumper but there's no material there to sew it onto anymore. Oh. So, um, you know, I, I don't expect you to know which eye disease he had. Because, <laughs> no, I, because from this, this, I'm not a clinician, so yeah, yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it, it, the thing is, this is how I explained it. And um, it's good that we are seeing the development of science moving forward, that there could possibly be hope for this man now um, in yes. the future. Yeah. I mean, he probably could have had an, a, a corneal transplant, maybe, you know, to completely replace. So this would be also an alternative for, for some of these patients here. Yeah. But as you know, transplants are, uh, uh, there's generally a shortage of transplants, you know, across the world, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, and also they come with issues when you transplant. So the idea of the whole consortium is basically to, to treat these diseases earlier that they don't need um, um a cornea transplant because before it, the, the disease got so severe. Mm. Yeah. And can you explain to me as well glaucoma? Because it, it seems to affect a lot of people as they get older and it's something I don't know, but I'm, I'm hearing relatives very close to mine who are undergoing treatments for this now. So what causes it and what's the treatment to fix it? Okay. <laughs> I'm not the expert for glaucoma. I yeah. tell you. As I said, I'm not a clinician. So glaucoma is, is uh, high pressure in the eye. Yeah? And the issue is probably that, you know, there's the liquid cannot get out of the eye. Yeah? So there are small, very small uh, cannula. Uh, I think what is called the Schlems, Schlems cannula. Uh, when this is blocked, I suppose the li liquid cannot uh, leave the eye. So the, there's a, a constant um, increase of pressure in the eye. Yeah? And this then can damage the nerve. Uh, in the back of, of the eye and can damage the retina. So that's very dangerous glaucoma. And 
Treatments for glaucoma, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, not yet. <laughs> not yet. But this is not what we target in our uh, yeah, consortium yeah. glaucoma. That's uh, different. So the eye is it's, it's, it's too it's common. Small. It's too common for you yeah. to be treating. Yes, it's not as rare disease. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. correct. And also, um, you know, the eye is small, but um, the the different treatments what you would have to develop between the front part of the eye and the back part of the eye it's, it's quite different you know? yeah so yeah you would need different kinds of uh, some of the drugs we have actually could work there as well because they are treating more generalized uh, inflammation so if there's an issue yeah with inflammation they could also be used for this but some of the drugs are very specific for the for the ocular surface for the cornea so they would not uh, would not make much sense to treat them yeah. Uh, to use them for other disease conditions. Uh-huh. So, um, to, to be honest with you, I'm. I feel like I'm. 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 I'm in the. I'm, I feel like I'm in the ring with Michael Tyson. You know, Mike Tyson. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. Because I, I, I feel that you're such a heavyweight in terms of uh, the knowledge of this uh, area, and I'm so. Um, I, I I see myself as a, interviewing from Joe Public's point of view. So um, I do feel that at this stage, I have exhausted a lot of my questions. I'm asking you, is there a question that I should have asked? And what, what, what have we not covered that you would like to talk about? Um, that's a good point. I think we have covered a lot, I think, you know. So uh, as we said, we have just started a project and uh, we don't know, we don't have any results yet uh, of our, our drugs. But hopefully if everything goes well, uh, in the next couple of years, we can report uh, back and say, okay, yes, so we have looked. This drug, it was very promising at the beginning, but maybe it didn't work so well. And whereas this drug uh, also looked good at the beginning and uh, we have got fantastic results uh, on patients, so they're very happy. And so that's what I hopefully, by the end of the project, we can say that we have at least uh, one of the two drugs, one of the, or two of the seven drugs we, um, of the 10 drugs we have uh, in our uh, project have given good results in clinical trials and then they will be very happy with that. Mm. Yeah. It's been a great pleasure to have uh, chatted with you and yeah, I look forward to hearing the results that come forward uh, in the coming months and years. Thanks so much, Fender. I really enjoyed talking to you here and uh, it's quite new for me to do a podcast, but I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, so. well, vielen Dank, meine. Gerne geschehen. Tschüss. Tschüss. This has been a Salt Hill Media original podcast and production.